it's just not a good property. And, you know, I need to get, get out of it. And then really, you got to analyze whether you're going to be able to take care of the issues. Again, that, that the reason that they couldn't make it work, you got to be able to take care of it and do a better job at it. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast, the show about buying, optimizing, and managing short-term rentals in the state of Michigan. Get insights and recommendations from vacation rental operators to help take your property to the next level. Are you ready to profit from your short-term rental? Let's get started. Welcome to the Michigan Short-Term Rentals Podcast. My name is Tony Stancato here with my co-host, Jordan Painter. What's up, man? What up? It's spring break, brother. Let's go. I'm just getting back and you're just uh, passing the baton off to you and you guys are taking off, huh? Peace. That's right. Where are you going? Womp, womp, womp. Ohio. Oh, the destination, you know, the the spring break destination of the United States, Ohio. Nice, dude. Ohio. It's where everybody in Michigan wants to go for spring break. You know, I think I went to the second most desirable place, you know, St. Louis, Kansas City, Branson, you know, all the places people want to go on spring break. What part of Ohio are you going to? Yeah, we're headed to Kalahari, which is in Sandusky. So all the begging and pleading from my two oldest and myself trying to get my wife to pack up a car and drive to Florida. She just was not having the road trip this year. So trying to find something more local. So it's three and a half hours and we'll do something after. So I'm looking forward to it. We're going to make the best of it. It's going to be fun make some memories with the kids and yeah. What, five, five hour drive? Not too bad. I think it's only three and a half. Oh, boom. Even better. Depends. I, I drive faster than you, so maybe yeah. it takes time. Yeah, not with all the tires you blow out, but hey. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the other cool thing we got going on, I think we were just talking about it, the 70 mile hike. Yeah, is going to be the challenge of uh, of challenges for us. I've never done any type of endurance travel like this. So it's the Calhaven Trail. Why don't you tell about what we're going to try to do? Yeah, well, so what we're going to do is we are going to walk 70 miles in probably a 24-hour period. Hopefully we can get it done in about 20 hours. Kind of stemmed from my spring break, actually. It was just hiking with the kids. I think we're two and a half miles into the hike and they were done. They were over it. I was just like trying to encourage them. Hey, come on, let's go. And you know, for me, four miles is, is nothing, but I'm like, man, what do I have to do to kind of get myself back into that spot of where it's hard and I need somebody to encourage me. And I was like, Oh, who's the craziest son of a gun I know. So you probably, you know, <laughs> thought of you and you were like, okay, let's go. So that's how it started. And I think we're up to seven people already or kind of in the group that have committed to it. I think there's one other guy that said he's going to do it as well. So would be should be fun. Well, I mean, different level of fun, I suppose. But if you want to go on a 70-mile endurance, <laughs> endurance walk, how's that sound? Good. A 70-mile endurance walk, hit us up, Facebook, LinkedIn. We got a group, private group just for this. The other thing we're thinking of like trying to make it like an annual thing, not necessarily just a walk or hike, but like this year it's a 70 mile walk next year. Maybe there's some other crazy thing. I don't know. Canoe across Lake Michigan, whatever. So yeah, if you want to join, hit us up, let us know. We'll get you in the Facebook group. We're talking about maybe making some t-shirts and cool stuff like that too. But 
just be fun to get out there with other people, you know, struggle together and do that, that endurance walk together and just support each other and push each other to keep going. Yeah, Friday, May 19th, we're going to try to push off around 4.30 a.m. just to try to get a head start so that we don't have to walk all the way through uh, two full nights. So see how that goes. But yeah, super excited to just kind of get together with some people and push each other to our limits and you know do something that's a little bit fun. Right? It reminds me of a story actually I was going to tell Tony this. Might as well do it here. We went on a hike like this with a bunch of kids, my kids and friends, a few years ago. And us dads got together kind of behind the scenes and said, hey, we're going to have a competition that nobody knows about. And whoever wins this competition is going to be the last kid that complains. So we were having a good old time just trying to torture them up and down hills, through the woods, over the mountains, waiting to see who's the last kid to crack. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I guess we'll maybe see who, who's the first one to crack and start crying on this trip and uh, take away that, that card. Ain't going to be me. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Today, we are going to talk about the advantages and disadvantages of buying a pre-existing short-term rental. If you're following a certain area, it's just a matter of time before a short-term rental that was already in operations pops up on the market. And I think our last podcast, we actually talked about, hey, we're selling a short-term rental already being used and here's the revenue that it made last year. So we're just going to kind of discuss some of the pros and cons of buying one that's already existing. And why don't we touch on the pros? So what are some pros in your mind for buying a pre-existing short-term rental already set up? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say definitely the first pro is that if it was furnished well, then you save yourself two or three months easily of prepping it and setting it up and and getting everything in there. And even if it was halfway decent, if you could, if you've got a place two thirds of the way there and it just needs some tweaks, it definitely cuts out on a lot of the hassle of getting something up to snuff as far as the, the furnishings go. So I'd say that's definitely number one, just the time aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second pro again, depending on what it is. So you can look at some of the reviews that have already been done for that property. So for the one that we just sold, I mean, there was 60, I think we ended up just short of 70 reviews, 69 reviews with a 4.97 or 4.98 across 18 months. So you can actually go through those reviews. You can see what some of the pros are, some of the cons are. You can get a game plan of This is what we should do to improve the property. Or if there's certain things that they, you know, that they've mentioned, you can just go in and and make those changes. Now, the other side is, you know, ours was all great reviews, right? Now there might be bad reviews. So the other good thing is you can kind of look at those and say, is this something I can fix? You know, if there's an issue that, hey, maybe it's close to a freeway and maybe every fifth review mentions the the freeway and it's 4.3 stars or something like that, make sure you check that before you buy it. 
because that's one of those things, obviously, you're not going to be able to get away from. Another big positive to me would be just the revenue projections that we use when we're advising clients to buy a place or when we're buying uh, places for ourselves. It is projections and it's based on similar properties of similar square footage and bedrooms and bathrooms in the area, but it doesn't give you an exact number. So it is beneficial somewhat to know exactly what type of revenue a property produced. And you can kind of gauge it too to see, was it managed well? What are the pictures on point? Is it furnished well? Is there room to improve upon that revenue? Or in some cases, you know, if we're looking at a place and it is everything that we can see seems to be as good as it can get, and there's not a ton of adjustments, maybe there's not as much upside. So you can kind of gauge it based on that a little bit to see, is this a good investment? Is it a good investment? Instead of projections, you have actual real data. Yeah. And we could use the property we just sold again. When we decided to sell it, we were like, hey, this is the best we think we'll be able to do. There is a chance, you know, there, there could still be some upside there. But again, we had fantastic reviews and we got 115. So if I was the buyer of that, then I would say, hey, that's kind of my upside. And again, they're not going to have the reviews when they buy that property. So they're going to have to start over and kind of build up to where we had it. So it's going to be maybe a year two thing before they actually get that. But yeah, the, the best thing you could do is find one that has pretty low reviews. And hopefully it's just based on like, yeah, this person's just a bad host. They have bad, I don't know, management skills and they're not responsive. And maybe they're just don't have great communication. And then that's like, really clean. Yeah. And those are all things you can say, oh, we can take care of that. We can fix that. No problem. So you can say, okay, has low reviews. It still did a fair amount. So that's kind of like worst case scenario. And if we take it over, improve the operation side, improve the cleaning, improve the guest communication, we know that we can mitigate those types of reviews and get some solid reviews and then maybe spruce it up just a bit. There could be a lot of upside on that. So yeah, just being able to peek at the year prior and just see how those you know revenues actually came in can be a, a big benefit there. What about some of the cons? Yeah, well, so I, I would say that in some cases, it can also, that same factor we just talked about can also be a bit of a con. So if there's a property, again, like we just sold, you know, we sold that based on pretty excellent revenue and we bought it based on projection. And so, you know, when we bought that property, it was still kind of a shot in the dark. We were one of the early, you know, early short-term rentals in that particular market. There wasn't a ton. And so, you know, we bought that and we weren't competing necessarily at the time with as many other investors. And so I think that we got it at a much better price than we would have had it had, you know, a record of, of producing income. So I think you may end up paying a bit more for the convenience of knowing what the numbers are and having it fully furnished. There definitely is going to be a premium price that comes along with that if it's an investor that you know is selling it that that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is some of the cons would be you're buying a Airbnb that was potentially somebody else's problem, right? Maybe the previous owner ticked off the neighbors and that's already pre-built into the minds of your neighbors at this point. You know, even though you're a new owner, you are still a I'll call it a bad neighbor in their mind, right? 
So how are you going to go in and, you know, kind of turn the opinions of those neighbors to maybe be seen in a, a different light? Obviously, you're not changing the use of the asset class already. So again, you just might have a a dark cloud over the property already just based on, you know, previous owners and, and, and that kind of stuff. What other kind of cons would you say, you know, obviously, I think there's two reasons people sell, right? Hey, we sold it. This is the best it's going to get. We don't think it's going to get any better than that. Now is a perfect time to sell. The other side of it is like, I feel like there's, you know, which is probably more likely is people are like, it's just not a good property. And, you know, I need to get, get out of it, you know, and then really you got to analyze whether you're going to be able to take care of the issues. Again, that, that the reason that they couldn't make it work, you got to be able to take care of it and do a better job at it. Yeah. So I think there's definitely some of that that goes along with that. And I think even just from the income approach, some of the ones that we've looked at in the past, we look at it, we get excited about it, their, their previous rentals, and then we get the numbers back and we're like, they only did that much. Oh my gosh, are we that far off in our projections? And so I think you can also sometimes be talked out of what could be a great deal because it wasn't managed well. Or, you know, in some cases it could be, it was a second home for somebody and yeah, they used it as a vacation rental, but it only grossed, you know, a third or, or half of what it could if it was exclusively an investment property. So I do think it can get in your head a little bit mentally when you see numbers. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the ones we have looked at in the past, the numbers are pretty terrible. We're actually hoping to, to convert referral right now of somebody who bought one in one of the markets we operate that was already pre-existing as a short-term rental. And the numbers are pretty terrible. But when we look at it, the pictures aren't great. There's no amenities listed. It does not look like it's being presented to the market well. So it's really hard to say in that situation, you know, based on the revenue, you are kind of relying on other data and, and your ability to improve that asset when you're buying it. So it's easy to get talked out of it when you see some of the numbers that don't look good, for sure. Yeah. And on that one, I mean, to me, when you look at it, it was almost like, they bought it. They moved the house over to prop, you know, over to vacant land, and I think they tried to sell it. And then it almost—you just get the vibe that short-term rental, you know, turning it into a vacation rental, almost appeared to be like a afterthought of like, oh, hey, it's not selling. Let's just try to make some some money on Airbnb. And then again, pictures aren't great. I mean, would not take much to to do better at taking pictures on that. So yeah, I mean, in terms of cons, I mean. You know, there there could be cons of actually closing on it, but is there really a ton of cons when it comes to, I mean, being able to analyze a pre-existing one? Yeah, I don't think so. If you know what you're looking for, I think again, a lot of it's just that mental that mental game of talking yourself out of it because somebody else didn't manage it well or wasn't able to optimize it for whatever reason. So definitely great opportunities. Again, back to the biggest con, I think, is just you you end up, if you don't want to put the work in to find a deal, convert a deal, you're going to pay a little bit more of a premium. So I think you really have to ask yourself, whatever point of investment journey you're at, is it better for you to spend the money and have the time? Or are you really at the beginning of your journey or at a point where you know you really would value putting the effort in and the sweat equity in? over, you know, one that's already up and operational. So I think you really have to analyze. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer for this, 
You got to analyze every deal. You have to analyze your goals and you have to analyze the time that you're able and willing to commit to this project because it is it is a huge endeavor. And that, that's something that we have been working through with our business over time is how much time is it worth to spend optimizing these places and fixing them up? And when you talk about buying the value ads, you got to really calculate the ROI of your time that you're spending into that deal because you, you may not be getting a good, a good a deal as you think you are, depending on what your time's worth. Yeah. I don't know if we touched on it. I think we touched on it a little bit with the pros, but it's like you can shortcut the process. But then again, like a lot of people have called it a little bit of a tighter budget. Where else, you know, as long as it appraises out and, you know, where else are you going to be able to get furniture? Furniture is anywhere from 15 to 40 grand of the expenses. Like, so for ours, I think they were doing like a 10% down loan potentially and it appraised out and, you know, where else are they going to go? They would have to put another 40 grand into furnishing that. So a lot of times it's like, hey, they spend an extra 10% on the loan by just kind of wrapping it all up into that. And it's it's kind of the easy button and yeah, just can keep that budget down. Yeah, the, the cash outlay for sure changes. If you can get something fully furnished and you're able to work that into the mortgage, you know, the, the mortgage companies kind of frown on that. But if, the, if there's enough value that they can find in the house and the actual structure in the property, then you can you can end up basically just getting all those amenities and fixtures and improvements wrapped up right into the mortgage. Yeah. Well, anything else on pros and cons of just buying a pre-existing short-term rental? Yeah, I think, again, I think it just goes back to analyzing. You just got to be able to analyze every deal. There's not one, one way to do things. Analyze your goals, analyze the deal, and make sure that you have some confidence, some level of confidence that if it's not pre-existing, that you really know what you're looking at and you know what you can do with the property. Or if it is an existing one, then, then you can kind of see if there's any way to optimize it when you're making your projections. So make sure you ask the listing agent for the revenue. Make sure you ask the listing agent to share the Airbnb listing or Verbo listing so that you can check it out if it's, if it's still available. But you'll really want to see those things. And then, I mean, if you find one that is just like, man, this looks nice. It looks awesome. And, you know, let's say the reviews are really good, but the rent is just not good. Hey, make that connection and be like, hey, I don't think I can do any better than this listing. And it only did this much money, then you can kind of get out of it before you know you close on it. But make sure you get those those couple things and then really do a deep dive and see if you can uh, if there's areas to improve on the property. And yeah, that's the biggest piece of advice. Is just make sure you, you get those pieces of information from them. And you know, obviously you'll always want to make sure you check with the township and, and see if there's been any changes in the ordinances from, you know, the last six months or, or whatever, just because it has been a short-term rental doesn't mean that it's going to continue on to be a short-term rental with the new owners. So you'll want to make sure that you, you do that as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, let's put a bow on it. One more reminder, May 19th, 4.30 a.m., meet us in South Haven. Look us up. We'll get you the details. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be exciting. You're going to get pushed and uh, maybe make some new friends. Sounds good. See you guys there.
Thanks for checking out today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you get a chance, please go over to your podcast player of choice. Leave us a review. We appreciate those that have already taken the time to do so. It just helps us get discovered by more people in that platform. And if you're not on the email list yet, go over to michigan-shorttermrentals.com. Get on the email list. You're going to see it right there on the homepage, and you're going to get four very valuable emails. One's going to be a list of 650 zip codes where we've already analyzed a address and have projected revenue for that address. So you can kind of filter those and see which one is has the best projections out of those 650 zip codes. And then you're going to get a furnishing calculator, so you'll get a number or how much does it cost to furnish a four-bed, two-bath with a hot tub and a ping-pong table. And you can use that to really project out your return on investment there. And then also a property grading tool. So you're going to be able to plug in some information like yard size, number of neighbors, amenities, the cost of the property and the projected revenue and it's going to kick you out a letter grade so our properties are letter grade b so if it's b or an a it could be a good good property to pick up if it's less than that you might really want to think about is it going to be a good property and make sure you connect with jordan painter and tony stancato on linkedin send us a connection request there and we'll make sure we accept it and we'll talk to you later